My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she and her. And on today, we have Shannon, a school counselor, who's going to talk to us about the special role school counselors can play in making schools more LGBTQ plus inclusive. Before we dig into our conversation, I have a special announcement from educator Melissa Lim about an upcoming opportunity. Hi there, my name is Melissa Lim and I'm an educator in Portland, Oregon. Along with librarian Jennifer Lagarde, we're hosting a summer book club and guess what? You're invited! It's called Purposeful Prose and we'll be doing summer reading exploring inequity in the U.S. criminal justice system. If you're interested, just sign up at this link bit.ly forward slash purposeful prose. Once you register, you'll get all the details, including the book list of fiction and nonfiction titles and information about our three virtual meetings. We hope you join us. Happy reading. I'm super excited about that free book club opportunity. The link to join is in the show notes. And now on with the show. My name is Shannon Leone and I use she, her pronouns and I am currently a high school counselor at the International School of Bangkok, where I've been for a year, but I've been in the international school counseling world for the past, oh my gosh, seven years already, which is wild. So I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, which is where I am right now because I'm here on summer break, which is super exciting and super um, needed to say the least. I think it's been a really hard year for everybody. So I'm just happy to, to be home and to be here with you. This is so exciting. Well, I'm so excited too, Shannon, you know, in part because, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, counselors are so uniquely positioned to support LGBTQ plus students, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's a perspective that um, I think sometimes we could center a little bit more in this conversation. And I'm wondering if you might talk to us uh, today a little bit about what your learning journey has been like um, in, in terms of, you know, preparing for that position um, because, you know, it, it's a, you know, in, in many ways, I, I think it's um, maybe an honor to be that, you know, the, the safe person for students, but it's also a huge responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a great question. And that this is one that I've been thinking about a lot and how to answer it. Because I, I think my background's a little bit different than other school counselors in the sense that my background's in international social work. So I kind of fell into school counseling. I was originally working at a public high school. Once I finished my master's of social work, I was working at a public high school where I was managing a teen parent program. And I was working a little bit with their gender and sexualities alliance, but not not as much as I wanted to. But that was kind of my first glimpse at what these groups could be like for LGBT students and what kind of support they could provide for them. And I was really interested in getting more involved. And so from that position, I kind of, again, fell into this role. There was a job opportunity in Brussels. So I, I was working as the social emotional counselor at the International School of Brussels. And right away when I started, they said, would you be interested in starting a GSA here? Because we don't have one. And you mentioned you'd be interested in, in working with our LGBTQ students. So I was really excited about that. And that was kind of where I just kind of jumped in to be totally honest. And it was a lot of work in the beginning because the school hadn't had anything like that for students or nothing formal rather. So that was really interesting to get that started and get it off the ground. Um, and I worked really closely with the leaders and I, I did that for the full six years that I was in Brussels 
And it was an incredible experience getting to, I think just getting to chat with kids and sit with them and joke with them and play cahoots and talk about, you know, queer culture and things like that. And it helped me be a better counselor, I think, because I was able to really hear what's going on with them and what they were worried about and things that they wanted to know more about. And so it was a really awesome hybrid for me in terms of being in the counseling role, but also working with students in a less formal way. And one of the things that came out of that was that I realized in the club, there was a lot of students who needed even more of a, a confidential space to explore their, their questions or their identity. So I started a group called Spectrum, which was a closed conversation support group just for LGBTQ and questioning students. So that was in addition to the club, but this was a closed group for 12 weeks. I created the curriculum. And some of it was silly, you know, focused on, um, you know, pop culture and queer celebrities and things like that. But other things are also talking about, you know, queer, um, safer sex and sexual health and how to come out safely. And safety was always a topic we talked about, but it was such a special group to me um, because it was just in addition to the work I was already doing with the GSA. And it just allowed me to, to get to know these students even more and I think what came out of that was that I was able to really advocate even more for them in terms of what they really wanted at school. So some of my, my, you know, my learning journey as a counselor was really just from the students. I think they would often say things and I kind of raise my hand and say, I don't know what you mean by that. Can you explain that a little bit more to me? And so kind of being humble and, and vulnerable in that space too really helped me you know, to grow even further. That's fantastic. You know, and, and I, I think it is so important that schools have that that space that you mentioned. You know, it, it might be a closed group where students who can raise concerns that they don't think they can re they can raise in other spaces. And, um, you know, I, I would say increasingly it's becoming popular to see this idea of teachers having a safe space sticker mm -hmm. up on their classroom door on the wall, you know, mm -hmm. as, a, as a way to kind of try and say, you know, conversations that maybe we weren't having years ago or, you know, the, you know, the identity that, um, you know, all the different types of identities that we see that, you know, we, we're trying to be more inclusive. Uh, and I worry sometimes though, that we're, you know, we're, we're putting a sticker up on the wall and we're not really thinking mm -hmm. about um, what it means to bring uh, that message to life. And your training, you know, I would imagine has prepared you to create a safe space in ways that perhaps um, other educators have not. So for that teacher who is thinking, yeah, I do have that sticker on the wall and they want to authentically, you know, make sure they are cultivating a space where students feel safe. What advice uh, might you share with listeners? Um, you know, just things that you have picked up that um, when it comes to that sense of psychological safety, here are some things that you can do. Um, to, mm -hmm. to try to make sure that it's there. I love this question too, because I feel like you're absolutely right. I've been hearing and, and seeing so much about this idea of a safe space. And I've actually always called it a safer space because I, I think we can't assume that every space is hundred percent space for everyone in every way. And so I, I kind of like giving myself the, the sort of flexibility to say, okay, how do we create safer spaces? knowing that we're still growing and challenging ourselves. And there's so much nuance with the LGBTQ community. Um, I'd say this, there's kind of different ways I think about safer spaces. The first one is when I'm meeting with students one-on-one -on -one in my office. So right now I'm doing 
social emotional counseling and also academic counseling. So it's a little bit less kind of overwhelming for me. So when I was in Brussels, I did just social emotional counseling. My caseload was about 460 kids. So it was a lot. Mm -hmm. So now I'm meeting with about 200 kids. And so I, I get to have more um, conversations with kids that don't focus just on the mental health aspect. But I will say that it's, it's really challenging whenever I meet with a student who's maybe grappling with their identity or trying to figure out, you know, what's going on with their th these thoughts and feelings they're having. And a lot of times what I do come up against is students dealing with suicidal ideation or self-harm as it relates to their, their identity and, and coming out to themselves. And that's really, really challenging. And I think for any counselor, we get comfortable with those conversations, but you don't get ready for those conversations, I guess I would say that they're always really challenging. And so I always try to think about that when I'm working with my LGBT students about how to create safe space for you and, and what, what can we do in this, in this space? And then as, as we look further into the classroom, I think, gosh, there's so many ways I want to answer this question. Um, I, I think, I think one thing you mentioned about like the sticker, the safe space sticker is really interesting for me because I know teachers put those up and they think that that's enough just to say, hey, I'm a safe person you can talk to. But I think it goes so much deeper than that, because I think going back to the, you know, just we know that LGBT students are at higher risk for suicidal ideation and self-harm. And so I think that has to be something we really carry with us and think about. And it's not easy for kids to come out and it's not easy for kids to live authentically always. Right. So I think as much as we can, just listening to students and trying to encourage them to, to know who their allies are at school. I think one thing that I've been thinking about a lot with Safer Spaces is how, how do we amplify student voices? Because I think we as adults can think about, okay, this is what a safe space would look like in my opinion, but we don't truly know how that would translate into the lives of our, you know, our, our LGBTQ students. So one thing I always encourage folks to do if possible is to collaborate with students. So for example, that could be working with students on a faculty presentation. Um, this past year, the leaders of our Gender and Sexualities Alliance, our, our GSA, we worked together to lead a session for teachers that was focused on allyship and pronouns. And it was super helpful because it came from the students. So they were the ones telling teachers this is what we need at school to feel safe. And it wasn't for me. I kind of just stood back and made sure the media worked and everything, but the students were the ones at the forefront of saying, this is what would make this campus safer and here's what you can do. And so the feedback we got from that was really powerful that teachers felt really encouraged and supported and they felt like they could ask questions to the students. Um, and what I noticed after that, when we were able to do that, was that teachers wanted more. They wanted more conversations and how, how do we make safer spaces? So I think student voice is, it's key for me. And that's what I always come back to when I'm working with students, you know, making sure I'm advocating for them and with them. I think mm -hmm. working in tandem with students is huge as a counselor. And I never assume I know what is best for a student. I, I've made that mistake, you know learning as a counselor that I know what's best, but I don't always. So I think it's always a learning experience for me, you know, talking to kids about what would make you feel safe at school. So that could be anything from implementing gender neutral toilets, which I've been lucky to have at both schools. And also just having teachers, you know, at the beginning of the year say, hey, students, you can put your name and your pronouns on this sheet. And let's talk for a second about why that's important. 
and why, why we're even talking about pronouns. It can be really simple and these really tangible ways to show that we, we care about our LGBTQ students. So I think there's a lot of ways we can start to just do these little steps and they make a huge impact. And I always tell folks who work in spaces where maybe they're not able to do that, that you will have LGBTQ students sitting there and they're going to be watching for signs that you're an ally or signs that you are on their side and you're there to support them. So even if it's as simple as wearing a little rainbow sticker on your name badge or putting a little safe space or rainbow sticker in your office or your classroom, the, the queer students, they will notice that and they will clock that, right? And so a lot of my students have told me that, that, you know, if they're in schools where it's perhaps even illegal to talk about these topics, they will notice those little signs that show that they're safe people around them. And so I think there's a lot of little, little ways that we can create these safer spaces. Um, it doesn't have to, you don't have to be working in the, uh, like a queer utopia school, right? I don't know if that exists. If it does, I want to work there, but <laughs> I think that it just helps to think about what are these little things we can do. Um, and just kind of normalizing these practices, right? Yeah, you know, as you're mentioning all of just sort of the little signifiers, I think they stand out so much because so much of school is heteronormative. Um, you know, so much of the curriculum, you know, is quiet about the queer perspective. So when there is, um, you know, just sort of a touch of it, it really does speak volumes. Um, uh, you know, and I, I often also recommend if you've got books on your desk or if you've got a virtual background, like have a book in there that's by a queer author. Um, you know, mm -hmm. that's gets noticed. If you're the teacher who plays music in the classroom, that's another way to, you know, have have queer artists featured in the playlists that you, that you use. Um, you're right, Shannon. Like it always, it does get that, you know, attention of queer students. And I would say as students who don't identify as queer as well, um, because I think it's important, you know, they're also receiving important messages about, is this an issue that I should pay attention to? You know, do I value other perspectives? You know, who are, who are my, my teachers sort of saying they pay attention to, you know, it's, it's a message that I think, um, you know, we, we underestimate the impact of it at times. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that, that you brought that up. This actually, I don't want to take credit for this. I got this from a training I attended. Um, there's this group in the UK called Gendered Intelligence, and they're fabulous. It's a trans-led organization, and they do these trainings for therapists, counselors, teachers, etc. And so they said one thing that can really help as well with students so who might be wanting to come out, that they, they know how they identify and they want to tell others about that. So they're, they're past the first part of that process of coming out to themselves. Um, for example, if a student wants to come out as non-binary and they want to use they, them pronouns, what we can do as counselors and perhaps even teachers is to say, okay, then from here on out, I'm going to hold you in my mind using they, them pronouns and the name you want to use. And that can be enough for a lot of students. Just knowing that there's one person who is thinking about them with these pronouns that they're maybe not ready to use at a wider audience. And I found that to be really helpful for some students who are just not ready, but they want to try out how it feels and, you know, writing emails to them using their, their, you know, new name. And um, yeah, it's been a really incredible little tip. I, I think that can be really powerful for some students. And, you know, that makes so much sense because, you know, what is a teacher, if not, you know, kind of that mirror for the potential that a student has 
Um, and hopefully we are, you know, their, their means to sort of rehearse that they might change their mind or they might stick with it. But I think teachers are in many ways, um, you know, primed to be that person who's saying like, I want to see the potential, you know, wherever it is that you are aspiring to go, like I'm that Mm -hmm. person for you to kind of rehearse that with. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's great. Um, so I'm going to find that organization and I'll link to it in the show notes because that sounds, that sounds really useful. Yeah. Uh, So Shannon, earlier in the year, you co-facilitated a session entitled, Are We There Yet? No, Moving Towards Authentic LGBTQ Plus Inclusion. And I'm wondering if you might walk us through some of the core questions that were at the foundation of that presentation. To be honest, the alternate title for that was, We Need You On Board Yesterday. So it's a bit of a sassy title, I recognize, but this was a really unique experience for me. Uh, This was a collaboration with the the faculty supervisor for the middle school GSA. So I run the high school one and we've started teaming up more, which has been fabulous. And he and I started brainstorming ideas. So uh, this was, let me just preface this for a second. This was for part of our staff PD. So there was a day where, where any staff at our school could choose a workshop. And so we weren't sure if anybody would come. We kind of planned on 12 people coming maybe. And we were really surprised it was the the biggest one that we'd had that day. So, or the most well-attended workshop. So that was really um, flattering and gratifying and all those good things. So the core questions for that was really just thinking about how can we, again, promote student voice and how can we promote LGBTQ voices of our students? And there hadn't been a workshop like this for a couple of years. So we thought this was a unique opportunity especially as our school and so many others are focused on diversity, equity, inclusion, racial justice work. And this was part of our school's decision to really start to amplify these voices and and diversify the topics that we talk about at these PD sessions. So we, we really wanted teachers to come in and to take a personal inventory of themselves. So this idea of calling yourself into this work. Are you ready to take on this work? Are you ready to kind of see how you really feel about these topics? So one of the, the first activities we did was a spectrum activity. So we, we gave uh, questions for folks and they had a little sticker and they had to go around the room and place it on the spectrum if they agree or disagree, if they're neutral. So one example of those was I assume someone's gender identity or sexual orientation by looking at them. And that one was a really interesting icebreaker because we're able to say, you know, a lot of us make assumptions, even those of us who know better, that's just the way our brain is, is first categorizing people, right? It's putting folks into these binaries and just kind of making these snap decisions and judgments. And so we had really awesome conversations and I was really impressed with teachers who were willing to be vulnerable and raise their hands and say, yeah, I absolutely make assumptions about people based on what I see. So it was a really um, good start to the session. And We also focus a lot on straight and cisgender privilege and we broke down what that means. And there were some folks who'd never heard the term cisgender or understood the term transgender. So we kind of did an LGBTQ 101 as well, just focus on terms and definitions, which I think is huge. And the ones that we use are actually ones that our students created. So we also worked with our students to say, what do you want your teachers to know? Um, How do you want them to use the term bisexual, for example? What is your definition of that? So that was also kind of cool that we were able to still amplify the students and and speak on their behalf in this case. So, yeah, it was a really awesome experience, Um, especially as a newbie at the school. I don't 
quite know if I understand the whole, um, you know, how the community feels about these topics and issues yet. I think it's it's been such a fragmented year. So it was really illuminating to see how many allies we have and how many people that are fired up to do this work. And, and one way we ended the, the session was we talked about um, imagine if and take action. So folks had to think about imagining, for example, an inclusive curriculum. And the action point they would say is, let's re-examine our health curriculums to make sure that there's um, LGBTQ sexual health units and times where we're talking about gender identity and et cetera. So that was really cool. And, that, and that's something that I really wanna build upon next year to say, hey, remember we came up with all these awesome action points, let's put this into practice and start making this a reality. But we were virtual the last two months so we weren't really able to do much unfortunately, but it was really awesome. Um, I feel really supported by the school and able to, in doing this work. So that was really um, humbling and exciting. And yeah, I had a lot of feelings doing it because I also, you know, came out as a queer person in the workshop, which I wasn't sure if I wanted to do. I think there's always a fine line for us. We're not quite sure if that's the right space. But I thought, you know what, you should know because I don't hide anything. I, I'm out to everybody. Um, People know I have a wife and two cats. I talk about them a lot. And so I thought it was really important just to be authentic about, you know, this is my experience. And so in creating a safer space for the students, we're also creating safer spaces for faculty as well. It was really cool. That's fantastic. You know, and, and I'm, I'm wondering just to sort of step back because you're talking about, mm -hmm. you know, you were feeling supported and obviously you felt like, you know, you could sort of bring your own identity into that conversation. And I know that there might be some school leaders who listen to this and they might be questioning, is my school, do my teachers feel that way? Would they feel supported in facilitating a conversation like that? Um, you know, and I, yeah. I, I know sometimes school leaders think, or they might assume yes, but you know, what are they basing that on? So I'm wondering if you might mm -hmm. actually just describe a little bit, some of the things that were happening, um, that made you feel supported in having that conversation and, and bringing this to, you know, the forefront of, of professional development conversations at your school, what, what's happening there that, that you know, again, is telling you, yeah, this is, this is going to be yeah. an okay conversation to have. I think that's always a big question, right? When when we start working at new schools, we're not quite sure if the school is, I hate to say this, but just kind of paying lip service to being inclusive and diverse. You never quite know. But um, I'd say one of the first things that I noticed about the school was that when I mentioned I had a, a wife, there was a, it was a non-issue. It was just, okay, great. And so here's what we're going to do to support the two of you. So that was before even starting and then starting I was asked to lead the GSA right away, which was really great. And there was a couple of staff members who I met right away who wanted to start an LGBT affinity group for faculty. And so they had already gone to the director of the school to say, can we get this started? And can you maybe throw in a couple of bucks for transportation so we can all go out to brunch or whatever? Um, so there was a lot of little signs right away. And, and I think once we did meet as uh, the affinity group, we had a LGBT trivia night, and it was super fun. I think I realized how many of us there are at the school. And so I think just the strength in numbers there has been really awesome. Um, and so kind of through that group, I met the the person that I co-led the, the session with, and we started talking about, you know, could we lead a workshop? Is there going to be space for this? And then it kind of just started merging well with the DEIJ work we're doing at my school. Um, one of the things that we're focused on is amplifying diverse voices. And so I've kind of 
promoted myself as a person who's really comfortable talking about, you know, queer topics and identity and things like that. So um, I'd say those are some really big signs that the school is progressive. Um, also, I've been able to lead a session in our health unit, our health classes in high school on gender and sexual diversity. So that's been huge. And just knowing that if there's anybody who's any, any um, parents who are upset about those topics that the school says that this is absolutely essential that we teach these topics. So there's a lot of ways I feel supported, I think. Um, but it's interesting working in a country like Thailand where it's, it's socially pretty liberal, but legally not so much. So there's also that as well, that school can be really safe, but outside of school, it doesn't always feel that way. Yeah, that's interesting that you mentioned that because I've, I feel like I've, I've experienced that. And I've also yeah. experienced the inverse of that where legally, actually, you know, we're protected, there's rights, but then socially <laughs> there might be you know, mm -hmm. issues, um, you know, and, and I kind of think that you have to anticipate both, unfortunately. I've had people react with surprise when I've said exactly what you said before of, you know, there's places I've worked with my wife where it might be the first time I am using that phrase in a sentence mm -hmm. and there is a different reaction. And I, I feel like you're right. You know, as a queer person, I'm kind mm -hmm. of, if it's the first time I'm mentioning it with colleagues, like I'm gauging, I'm getting ready to like anticipate a variety of, dis of responses. And, yep. you know, whenever I've told people before, like sometimes it's, you know, been met by other educators um, you know, with, with responses that are concerning, you know, folks will either like raise their eyebrows or be like, really, really, that still happens. And it's like, really, really, it does. Um, so I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit, just in terms of, um, you know, what that range of experience has been like for you, because I, I think it is important, um, you know, especially as you were saying, you know, those affinity groups can be really powerful. And sometimes I've had people say to me like, but it's, you know, it's 2020, it's 2021, you know, is it still an issue? And yeah, yeah it very much is. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, we need to keep talking about it. Right. And I think we need to keep sharing our experiences because otherwise we feel like we're the only ones having these experiences. And I think for me, what, what stands out to me is that I was living in Belgium, which was so open in so many ways. And, um, I don't know when they legalized same-sex marriage was pretty, it was maybe third or fourth in the world. So it was pretty up there in terms of, Hey, we're going to support all of our, you know, residents and citizens who live here. And so we were kind of living in this place where it was never an issue if we walked down the street holding hands um, and never an issue with my school that I worked at in terms of support for my wife. And then coming to Thailand, it's, it, it's been really interesting because I guess I just assumed it would be super open and super, um, I don't want to say accepting, but I, I guess that's a word I want to fall on there. Just my schools are accepting and people around us are accepting, but I don't feel comfortable yet. For example, walking down the street, holding my wife's hand because I can't gauge it yet. You know what I mean? So we're constantly doing that sort of surveying the scene to see if anybody's around us and kind of just doing those sort of safety checks. I think unfortunately all of us queer folks have had to do in certain spaces and it sucks to be honest. Right. I, I mean, I wish a lot of, I know a lot of us wish we lived in spaces where we don't have to worry about it, but I think the biggest thing for me has been that it's starting at the school. I've been out, you know, the whole time. Everyone knows that I have a partner and that we came to Thailand together. Whereas in Belgium, I was a little bit more quiet at first. So I wasn't quite sure. And so I think that's been something I've changed. Um, it hasn't always been easy, right? Because I'm, 
I'm one of two queer women at my school, by the way. So they're, I'm kind of it, you know, in the high school. Mm. So it's, that also kind of feels like a lonely road sometimes. I don't know if you've had that experience, but that's, that's also not my favorite. (laughs) Yeah, that's been the case. I would say, you know, every, every single time. And, you know, my wife and I have talked about it where, you know, we also feel like, okay, we might be the only lesbian couple at this school, like for their whole school history. And there's pressure with that too, right? You know, like I, there's kind of a, a weight or a responsibility that, you know, I've mentioned to friends, like, you know, if you and your partner were the only partnership like that, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, of, of course you, you sort of, you feel the weight of, do we have to be even better at our jobs? Um, uh, you know, and, and people often tell me, no, of course you don't, but um, it, it is a really unique experience. And I'm glad that you bring up yeah. that that safety piece, you know, and, uh, you, you know, you mentioned we would all love to live in spaces where it's totally a non-issue, but I don't know if that space exists anywhere in the world. You know, we've, no. uh, my, my wife, we live in Canada now. My, my wife is originally from Toronto, you know, and there's been times when we've gone to visit and Toronto is known to be like an extremely progressive place. Right. Um, and there's been situations where, you know, holding hands, even there, it's, you still have to do the safety checks and we've had issues, um, there. And then, you know, we've been in countries where, you know, I know that friends and family have been worried about us, um, you know, being a a queer couple and it's been in some ways like socially safer there. Mm -hmm. So, um, just that, that constant kind of having to survey and check and gauge, um, is is tough. And it's tiring too, but I think there's so much, hope that comes from that too you know just I think about the students that I've come out to and I mentioned little things about my my wife or you know just just using that word is powerful and I always love saying I I know I don't take that lightly that we're able to say that and that we're able to legally get married in the states when we did and um, I think for students I think about how much I wish I'd had a queer role model growing up and and I you know I didn't have that and so I think about how important that is to them too just to know that, hey, we exist and we're living our lives and we're open and we love ourselves and we're not afraid of, you know, sharing that with everybody. So I think sometimes it's worth taking that risk if you know that it's going to help someone else, right? Especially if you feel safe enough to do it, of course. But yeah, I've really just, I've noticed it helps me connect deeper with students as well. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it, again, it, that is really that is really powerful. And so that's, I, I do kind of think the the onus is on school leaders if you do have members of faculty who are queer, you know, like make mm-hmm. sure that they 110% feel supported to reference their spouse, to have a picture of their spouse, you know, in the yeah. classroom. Um, and, you know, you kind of hit the nail on the head earlier. It has to come down to that issue of if and when there's a parent or caretaker issue that school leadership is going, going to back you. Um, yeah. Because I, I think many of us ultimately have had to deal with that concern before hmm Yeah, I think so too. So uh, Shannon, you know, it's, it's summer, you're on your summer holiday and, and this is the time of year when, um, you know, usually in education, we've got a little more time or headspace to dig into like a podcast recommendation or, uh, or a book. And I'm wondering if you have any recommendations of like summer listening, viewing, reading that you think might be um, a great resource that can continue to inspire us to think about LGBTQ plus inclusion. Absolutely. And th- this was another question that I, 
I kind of went wild and thinking about, you know, how many podcasts, I'd have no idea how many podcasts I listened to until I was making a list. So I think one thing I really love, for example, about podcasts is, you know, given that a lot of us have been in some sort of lockdown this past year, it's been really a nice way to just go on a walk and listen to a podcast and to learn from other people. And so I've been really trying to listen to as many queer podcasts as possible. So the ones I'll, I'll mention are not ones that I, you know, I'm, I'm saying are perfect in every way, but these are just ones I found to be helpful in terms of learning from. So the, is it okay if I just name them? Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So one of them is LGBTQ and A with Jeffrey Masters. And that's a really, um, a great one. It's just interviews with a lot of uh, queer folks, which I love. Uh, 4D with Demi Lovato. I'm not ashamed to admit I love Demi Lovato and I've always loved Demi Lovato, but this is a really great podcast from them. Uh, Gender Reveal with Tuck Woodstock is another good one. I don't know if they're still producing it or not, but I found that one to be super helpful with gender identity. Um, and just me being able to listen to people explain things that I, I didn't know who to ask about, right? So that's been a safe way to explore that. Uh, Nancy's another one that's older and I'm sad it stopped. I don't know if you ever listened to that one, but it's love really Nancy. good. I was so devastated when it ended because I just loved it. I cried when they ended. And um, sometimes I weigh with Jamila Jamil can be really helpful as well. She interviews a lot of queer folks and that's been really interesting. And then the last one is Savage Lovecast by Dan Savage. So um, part of my background is in teaching sex ed and sexual health and so I found it to be really helpful in terms of learning a lot about the, you know, sexual health for queer folks and LGBTQ folks. So those are just a couple I wanted to throw out there. I know there's a lot more, but those are just ones that I have currently awaiting um, a walk that I need to <laughs> dive into and listen to. Oh, that's fantastic. That's really useful. And, um, you know, I, I, I totally am with you with, uh, you know, Nancy, stopping episodes for me the the one that's sort of on par with their tone is uh slate has a podcast called outward um and they they don't have i don't think as many issues that nancy did but and they publish not as frequently it seems i think it's one okay. month. Um, but their content is really good and uh they they've got some great guests and they also do this great segment at the beginning of each one that's called pride and provocation where they share like something that makes them proud and then something that kind of like makes them angry. Um, and I, and I love that segment, but you know, I would say thank you for giving us that list. Sure. And the thing that I would mention is, you know, I think sometimes you know, Nancy stopped producing and I'm not sure why they stopped producing, but there's another podcast on gender that I love that was canceled during the pandemic. And, you know, I know part of what keeps paid podcasts going is just like what you were doing, like endorsing them, spreading the word, you know, sharing them on social media, giving them a review wherever you listen to your podcast. So listeners, if you're wondering like, what is something that I could do for pride? Check out one of those podcasts that Shannon recommended, you know, give it a five-star rating on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen. Like those things are really great for, for content creators. Um, lastly, Shannon, uh, you know, I wanted to ask, you know, counseling sometimes for educators, you know, I know even I have wondered, like, I wonder what that job is really like, you know, it's, <laughs> you know, sometimes in, in schools, we work in our different silos, and we don't always understand the work that one another are doing. So I'm wondering, in what ways you might think counselors are underused when it comes to cultivating LGBTQ plus inclusion? Um, you know, what do you wish more teachers or more school leaders were coming to you um, to ask or, or for support with? 
It's a great question. I think, I mean, I, this might be a weird thing to say, but I really think I have the best job in the school because I, I get to connect with kids in such a different way. That is not putting down teachers. Let me be clear, but I just feel really, really privileged to get to talk to kids and have more time with kids one-on-one. So I think we're able to work with kids in a way that perhaps others aren't because we have confidentiality as, as something that, that drives us and that protects us. And so oftentimes we're the first ones that will talk to students about their identity and coming out, for example. So I think sometimes I wish we were used more in, in advocating for students. Um, I think most of us are in that role already, but however, I do think that our voices can be used perhaps a little bit more in terms of advocating for students and pushing maybe even more for policies or uh, ways to protect students. So this is something I'm really passionate about and something I wanna explore further next year in terms of our policies and what we can do to further support gender nonconforming and our trans students. And um, I think that's really important. And I think, yeah, be, being a counselor has been incredible because I, I really, again, it comes back to this idea of I'm privileged to hold space with students who are grappling with mental health issues or identity issues. And I never take it lightly when a student shares something with me. Um, and so I think a lot of times what I notice is that us counselors rely on each other as well as a resource because oftentimes we can't tell anybody else what we're talking about with students and we shouldn't do that. But I think sometimes we can, we need that support as well to keep going and to keep advocating for students. And that sort of, um, yeah, just kind of peer support is huge within the counseling community. So that's been really something I've just been really grateful for and, and working as part of a team and saying to them, Hey, I'm noticing this with my students. Are you noticing this as well? Okay. Let's advocate for ways that we can support all of these students or these specific needs. So um, I've also started working with ISCA, the International School Counselor Association, and that's been really helpful. And I just joined the DEIJ committee. And so I'm really hopeful as well to keep amplifying LGBTQ you know, students and, and voices and, you know, just advocating for them as much as possible. So that's been really something I'm really focused on. Um, trying to take a break this summer and not focus on stuff as much, but I'm already thinking ahead to next year and all the things I want to do, which I'm sure we all do at some point. Well, I would love to pick up this conversation again uh, and, and talk more about what your GSA is doing. And, you know, again, once yeah. your, your school's going to be back in person, as you're saying, you've, you've sort of set some goals. I'd love to follow up um, in 2022 and just sort of talk a little bit more about the way that um, you're continuing to do that important, essential work of advocating for students. So thank you so much for, for sharing um, a bit about your journey with us on the podcast. And I hope that you do have that really relaxing summer break as well. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a, an honor to be in this space with you. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was totally the pleasure. It was all mine. Thanks so much, Shannon.